Good morning. A minister was walking down the street when he noticed a group of boys huddled around a dog. The boys were between the ages of 10 and 12, and concerned that the boys were hurting the dog, the minister went over and asked, what are you doing? One of the boys replied that they were having a lying contest. They wanted to see who could tell the biggest lie, and that boy would get to keep the dog, because the dog was an old neighborhood stray, and they all wanted him. Well, the minister was taken aback, said, don't you know that lying is wrong, boys? And it launched him into a 10-minute sermon against lying, beginning with, lying is a sin, and ending with, why, when I was your age, I never told a lie. Well, his sermon was followed by a dead silence. And just as he was beginning to think he had gotten through, the smallest boy gave a big sigh and said, All right, give him the dog. Our topic this morning is hypocrisy. And I invite you to hear some of our Savior's words on the subject. I'll be reading selected verses from Matthew chapter 23. Hear God's word to you this morning. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Let us pray. Almighty God, these are difficult words from Christ that we hear this morning. But with the difficulty, we know that you also bear your truth. And we pray that you would open our minds and hearts to receive that truth today. Truth that can set us free. And to that end, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in the church, I remember hearing comments like, If heaven is full of Christians then I don't want to go. I even heard that from my own dad, who still corralled us into the car every week 
for service. Well, as I was preparing for the sermon, I read similar comments by famous people. Mark Twain, for instance, a brilliant and observant author, once said, If Christ were here, there is one thing he would not be, a Christian. Well, what about Gandhi? He was a leader of nonviolent resistance. He let his words, not his actions, do the talking. And this highly effective Hindu religious leader once said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Each of these comments suggest that hypocrisy is a significant problem in the church. These comments might hit us to the core and they may ruffle our feathers a little bit. But if we're honest, I wonder if they don't resonate with us too. I wonder how many of you have had a brush with hypocrisy in your own church experience. Or maybe it was initially a barrier to you in your conversion as an adult. It's no secret that mainline churches are losing members. Perhaps it's partially a symptom of a larger frustration, or even disgust with how Christians and the church are operating these days. This summer, we're doing a sermon series on big questions. And our question appropriately this morning is, how can we trust Christianity when so many Christians are judgmental hypocrites? Nothing like an easy question for me to take on this morning. But you know what's interesting is that this question actually rates among the top questions that Christians are most afraid to answer in defense of their faith. And precisely because of that, we must attempt to answer it this morning. It's not hard to find examples of hypocrisy. We can see it in the secular world by simply turning on the TV. There are stories of fallen politicians. They've been entrusted with the power to better society and instead end up using that power to cover up illicit affairs. Or what about the business world? An effort to pad a bottom line has led to many a Ponzi scheme, which has had a ripple effect of devastation on so many people and companies. Or how about the fact that we know that our economy is changing? Certainly the job market has to evolve, but having an economic engine that moves jobs overseas and threatens housing for our citizens seems contrary to its stated purpose. Hypocrisy in our secular world is disillusioning. But it is downright objectionable when we see it in the institutions that are supposed to be standard bearers or beacons of light in our broken world. It's sickening to hear the story 
of repeated child abuse and cover-ups by some clergy in the Catholic Church. These are individuals who have been entrusted with the edification of Christ's body and the promotion of moral integrity who have gravely misused their positions. Or what about TV evangelists who ask for ministry money and end up squandering it on personal indulgences instead? And finally, to the extent that the church promotes the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and then excludes individuals or groups from that promise should elicit our scrutiny. At the heart of each of these examples, from the secular to the church, there is a misuse of power, lies, and pretense. And it's pretense that is particularly the most troubling. One definition of hypocrisy reads, Hypocrisy is derived from the Greek word hypokrisis, which meant playing a part on the stage or putting on a mask to misrepresent reality. In the ancient Greek theater, Actors were known as hypocrites without any negative connotation. Well, there was no negative connotation then because the actor's pretense was expected. In fact, actors were esteemed based on their ability to do it, their ability to play a part. But we know that in the real world, we value authenticity and transparency. A modern-day definition of hypocrisy reads, claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. The problem is not so much that hypocrites sin or fail, it's that they pretend they don't. They're inauthentic, unwilling to admit they're not really who they say they are. In other words, hypocrites are acting as frauds. And there is no higher pretense. When confronted with the issue of hypocrisy, there are three primary ways that we can successfully address it as Christians today. Now, as I formulated these points, I drew partially from the book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. It's by the popular author and evangelist, Mark Middleburg, and I'll be specifically referencing Middleburg later on. But for now, I want to begin with our first point, the point being that we do not follow Christianity, we follow Christ. So when we hear the question, how can you trust Christianity when so many Christians are judgmental hypocrites? The answer is, that we do not trust Christianity. We trust Christ. And in Christ, we find a God who is also detesting of hypocrisy. A simple examination of our scripture passage this morning proves that that is the case. Proves the fact that critics of hypocrisy have an ally in Christ. 
Christ does not mince words in Matthew 23. We've heard it. We know that it is a biting chapter with threats and name-calling and warnings. And Christ is painting a picture of the Pharisees as blind guides and hypocrites. They're ineffective religious leaders because their hypocrisy is three-pronged. First, they do not practice what they preach. Second, they burden others while failing to act themselves. And third, they act for the wrong reason. Rather than serving God, they're more concerned with impressing others. Well, there is pretense at the root of each of these points. But we'd be mistaken to think that the Pharisees are the sole target of Christ's speech. Certainly Christ is frustrated with their hypocrisy. We can make no mistake about that. But commentaries note that Christ's audience was not the Pharisees. It was actually the disciples and prospective followers of the church. It's as if Christ is directing his words to the church, if that's the case. He's giving examples of what he has no tolerance for in order to root out any presence of it in his midst. So when you hear complaints about hypocrisy among Christians, you can respond that Christ would be frustrated too. In fact, Christ fell victim to hypocrisy himself. The religious leaders of Christ's day were so threatened by his truth claims and criticisms that they staged a hypocritical assassination of him. We know that Christ was innocent, but he was tried as a criminal because they were threatened. He willingly died on the cross for our sins. But perhaps it was the sin of hypocrisy that most put him there. Christ understands our frustration. And he fell victim to others' hypocrisy himself. The second way that we can successfully address the issue of hypocrisy as Christians is to be transparent in our own struggles. Remember that the problem is not so much that hypocrites sin or fail, it's that they pretend they don't. They're inauthentic, unwilling to admit they're not really who they say they are. We know that there is great value instead in authenticity. But it's also important to note that Anyone who is coming to the church expecting a perfect institution or perfect people will always be disappointed. Scripture tells us that only Christ was perfect. Only Christ could be the spotless lamb. Therefore, only Christ will not disappoint. Instead, what we are called to do as Christians and the church is to embrace the fact that we are works in progress and to seek forgiveness through transparency. 
That's what the scriptural process of sanctification is all about. We're works in progress, and we gather here each week because we believe that there is a higher calling on our life. We're broken, but God is mending and fashioning us into his image just as the potter fashions a piece of clay. And we can surrender to it and be transparent with others to an appropriate extent in the process. As we confess our imperfections instead of hiding them, we make the church a real an attractive place to be. It's a place where iron can sharpen iron and we can all be the stronger for it. Being transparent is a point that particularly resonates with me right now. Many of you know that I run a devotional blog for moms and if you haven't checked it out yet, I encourage you to do so through my staff bio on the church website. But maybe wait until you hear what I'm going to say first. Back in April, I wrote a devotion entitled, Watching the Green Grass Grow. This devotion's intent was to encourage myself and fellow moms to really embrace what summer is supposed to be all about. Slowing down, enjoying the beauty of God's creation, watching the green grass grow, getting off the vicious treadmill that we can sometimes find ourselves on in this part of the country especially. But I have to admit that what transpired in my own life this summer was a whirlwind. It was a tidal wave of different camp schedules, vacations, company coming into town. I'm pretty sure that until last week, I didn't even know what color the grass was this summer. But this sermon tells us that there is strength in that admission. You know, being a mom isn't about being perfect. Life is a learning experience. Parenthood is a learning experience. Living life just requires that all of us try our best. Sometimes we'll make the mark. Sometimes we'll miss it. But we should always be seeking God. The final way that we can successfully address the issue of hypocrisy as Christians is through discernment. So when you hear the question, how can we trust Christianity when so many Christians are judgmental hypocrites? One answer is that every Christian who professes to be a Christian doesn't necessarily want to be one. And with that point, I go back to a description that is insightful that Mark Middleberg makes in his book. He talks about the presence of cosmetic Christians. He says that there are some Christians who have a skin-deep spirituality that looks pretty good on the outside, but doesn't penetrate deep enough to really change behaviors and actions. In other words... There are Christians who are not really seeking Christ. Therefore, it's not fair to paint all Christians with the same brush. 
We cannot ultimately know the heart of another person and where they stand. But it is important to discern to whom the questions on hypocrisy are actually being directed. Just as discernment can help us filter criticism, discernment is also essential to the path of right Christian living. Middleburg talks about how some Christians have earned the title of judgmental hypocrites by demonstrating an attitude that is holier than thou. I think we've all seen this once or twice in our own lives, if we're honest, right? Well, the attitude repels others. It repels us. And we are to make no mistake that pride and arrogance are sins. It's our job to discern, not to judge other people. Middleburg talks about how the Bible tells us in many different ways and with a variety of words that it's not our job to condemn other people, but it is our job to discern which leaders are to be followed, which teachers are really teaching truth, which doctrines are to be trusted, which courses of actions are wise, and so forth. Discernment can assist us on the path to right living. Without putting others down or even attempting to take on the role of ultimate judge, which is reserved only for God. We are to veer away from judgmentalism and toward humility in an effort to attract others to Christ. And it's in fact in humility that we can best conquer hypocrisy. We can admit as Christians that we don't trust Christianity, we trust Christ. And it's only Christ who will never disappoint. It's only Christ who's perfect. We can be transparent in our own struggles to an appropriate extent and admit the fact that we are works in progress. We can humbly filter criticism. We can veer away from judgmentalism and through a lens of discernment, humbly ask God for the path that we should follow to best glorify him. When we do this, we reflect the actions of a church and people who are alive and healthy. We reflect the actions of a church and people of whom Christ would be proud. For Christ himself was the best model of humility. He was a king who rejected his throne while on earth. He was a spotless lamb who died a criminal's death. And he was God in the flesh who bent down to wash the disciples' feet. He did all of that because he loves us. And in so doing, he showed us that victory can be won through humility. Scripture tells us again and again that the humble 
will be exalted. And it is my prayer for this church that as we wrestle with the issue of hypocrisy occurring outside in the secular world and in the church today, that we would be recipients of the blessing of humility, that we would drink in the rich exaltation that can flow from the hand of God in so doing it, and so that each and every one of us can also be channels of God's grace. In answer to this question with your friends, your neighbors, and the world, for such a time as this. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy God, we thank you. We thank you that through humility, you bless us. Through humility, we can approach this issue of hypocrisy. Weed any presence of it out in our lives so that we can burn as a bright candle for you in this broken world. And we can be encouraged that you are doing positive things, real, beautiful things for your church to upbuild it for such a time as this. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would drink in that blessing as your people here at PCNP. And it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.